Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Uh, today, I'm excited because I have with me a uh, an entrepreneur and Wharton MBA student, uh, Brianna Atkinson. Uh, Brianna is the co-founder and CEO of Kokata, which she's going to talk about today. I always love bringing on entrepreneurs to talk about their journeys, what they're building, and how they're using their time in business school to really grow their business. And that's what we're going to do today. So, uh, Brianna, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thanks for being here. I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about what you're up to. So before we jump into that, I always love starting with a warm-up question. And my warm-up question for you is, what was your first job growing up? And what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, um, thanks for having me first off. Um, my first job, some would say, is not a job. I played sports um, really intensely. I committed to Duke to play volleyball when I was 15. Um, so I like to say my first job was volleyball. It got me into undergrad. It paid for my tuition, my room and board. Um, anyone who played like Division One athletics knows it is that is when it turns into a job. So that was my first job. Um, and then after that, just going into the work world. Sure. And I'm sure there was a lot of things you learned from being a Division One athlete. But if you could maybe distill one or two of the most important lessons you learned from that experience, what what would those lessons be? Yeah. Um, number one, I think, is time management is so key. Um, being a student athlete at Duke, I was majoring in economics, too, because I was crazy. It's so like taking all these math classes, like time management is so key. And that also includes like making time for social, making time for taking care of yourself. I think a lot of people imply that time management is, oh, I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. and work for three hours and then go to class. And like, that's not what I was always doing. It was, okay, I'm going to spend time with friends for two hours and then I'm going to do homework. Um, so time management, number one, and that has stayed with me since then. Number two, um, just being comfortable failing over and over and over again. And that's failing um, a homework, <laughs> like literally, that is um, every day at that level of sport, like failing on the court over and over and over again until you get it right. Um, it sounds silly, but that's really like a mindset of knowing, okay, I'm one failure closer to succeeding um, and learning from every failure so you can make sure that that's actually true. So those are the two big takeaways. I like those takeaways. I'm sure there are many more, but just to chime in on the, those because two that just came to mind for me. So I think right now there's particularly just given how challenging the past two years have been. There's been a lot of talk just in terms of well-being and wellness and uh, taking care of yourself. And I think in many ways, we have a lot to learn from athletes, particularly athletes who are performing at their peak performance. And one example of this comes from someone like LeBron James. Uh, LeBron James sleeps like 10 hours a night. And in the offseason, he may even sleep more than that. And part of the reason to the point you made is that it's less, it is, it is about time management, but it's also, he knows that if he wants to be the best basketball player in the world, he can't always be beyond. And I think that's a really good lesson perhaps for many of us, particularly those of us who, um, we want to work hard and we want to do well, but in order for us to work hard and do well and to achieve some goals, sometimes it does mean that we need to find other ways to 
uh, to shut our bodies down so that when we do come back, we can, we can be even stronger. So that was the first thing that stuck out. And then I think the other thing, and maybe you'll talk a little bit about this later, but this idea of being comfortable with failing and certainly failure is never necessarily fun, but there are lots of opportunities to learn from that. And I'm sure uh, that learning that uh, in as a college athlete probably has some parallels to being an entrepreneur. Uh, okay. I have an inkling and feeling that that's probably the case. They're so, very simple. <laughs> I had a feeling that was the case. But before we dig into that, let's let's hear a little bit more about your background. So I know you went to Duke. You played uh, uh, Division One volleyball. You were an economics major. But what did you do before going to Wharton? And why did you choose to get an MBA in the first place? Yeah. Um, so when I graduated Duke, I was telling myself I'm going to go get an MBA. Like the day I graduated, I I love school. Like I love learning. Um, so that's learning in school, but also learning outside school. So I really missed having that. Um, so I kind of knew that that was going to be on my roadmap from day one. Um, I went into consulting, uh, like a lot of people who end up going to get their MBA. I worked at Accenture for almost five years. I had a really, really great time there. Like the people were amazing. I learned a lot. Um, it was just a really good time. I also kind of, I like having multiple things going. So outside of consulting, I was also still playing volleyball um, for the Jamaican women's national team. So Accenture was really flexible with me to make sure I could do that a couple months a year. Um, Jamaica women's volleyball is really flexible. So I got to do both. And it felt like I was a student athlete, but in the adult world, but more like a corporate athlete because I'm a consultant and an athlete. So um there, I had three more years in me for volleyball, and then I just kind of knew I love volleyball. I'm always going to love volleyball, um, but also my body is super tired, and I think I'm ready to like find something that I love again, and that's what led me to my business. Um, but what led me to school was I always knew I wanted to go. Um, it was just a matter of finding the right time. Wharton was actually my, and my fiance, who was also my co-founder, um, it was our number one choice. So we were super lucky that that actually worked out. Um, but that was like a big priority for us was going back to school, at least being in the same city. So it all worked out. There was a lot of hard work behind the scenes to make that work out. Yeah, actually, if you don't mind sharing, if you remember what give give us a give us a, a little snippet into what actually had to happen behind the scenes. I mean, so for context, for those who aren't sure about this, getting in a business school solo on your own is is challenging in and of itself. Uh, trying to time it and get to get two people to be able to get into the same business school is just double the complexity. So give me a, give me a sense of what uh, what that was like. Yeah. Um, emotionally, the hardest part of it was I can control my application. You know, like I can control my GMAT. I cannot control yours. <laughs> so the toughest part was just, um, and he felt the same way. It's not just me. That was the hardest part. Um, so I had more clarity about business school way before him. Like I knew I wanted to go since back when we met in college and we met um, when we were pretty young in undergrad at Duke. Um, he took a little bit longer to warm up to that. I think he thought, um, you know, he didn't want to go back to school, but the longer that we had in consulting, the more um, clarity he had that he wanted to move on from consulting, but didn't know what to move on to in business school was the best way to figure that out. So I had started prepping uh, about a year and a half before. He started prepping six months before. So that was really stressful for me. I'm like GMAT final. I studied for the GMAT for a year. I got a great score. And now he's just starting. Um, and he pulled it off. Like he he worked his butt off to pull that off. Um, but we did everything from work on essays together. Like every single night, every single weekend, I was like unofficially tutoring him in GMAT since I kind of already did my part for my GMAT. <laughs> 
and we would have conversations like, okay, if you get into Wharton and I don't, I only, I get into Booth. If you get into Berkeley and I get into Harvard, like all these different outcomes, um, we, we had planned for it. We applied to 11 schools. It was a lot um, just to make sure we could be together. That's, that's great. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's such a lovely, lovely story. I'm really glad it worked out. It, it actually, in a, in a much lower stakes vein, in a slightly different vein, I, I, so I started my career in consulting as well. And at the time there was one other, one of my other really good friends, we both knew we wanted to do consulting and we were really the only two in our friend groups who wanted to do that. And so when we were our senior year, we would lock ourselves in the library, practice casing together, practice interview questions, stay up late, you know, getting ready for interviews give each other feedback on our cover letters and all those kinds of things. And it was one of those things where it's just kind of, uh, you know, having, having someone else to kind of go through that experience together, uh, was, uh, was, was really, really nice. And I, it sounds like it was for the both of you. So knowing that, did you have a sense of what you wanted to do when you were in, uh, going into business school in terms of starting a company or talk to me a little bit more about what some of those initial aspirations were for, wanting to go outside of just, you know, you like school and you love to learn and that you had wanted to do this since you graduated from college? Yeah. Um, my original answer a couple of years ago and looking back, I realized like this is why I all, I didn't feel ready up until recently. But a couple of years ago, um, my true answer was like, I kind of just wanted the MBA just to have the MBA and just to say I had it and to maybe like go to another consulting firm or like private equity or something like a little more traditional for other MBAs. Um, but I knew it was the right time to apply last year, last round, because I had already started my company. So I had been working on it for a couple of years, just testing at farmers markets and stuff. And I launched in October. The deadline for most applications for round one was like, wasn't it October? It was like September, October. So I launched right around the time I was hitting submit, um, which was crazy and a lot of work. But when I was working on my company, I would have never guessed that I was going to work in food and CPG like ever. I would have never thought that that was for me. But when I started working on it, um, I slowly started realizing I love this. I love entrepreneurship. I love CPG. I always thought I was just a foodie, but I think I'm more obsessed than most foodies. Um, so when I was applying and even now I, I wanted to come to school to incubate my company, to have resources, to talk to investors and other entrepreneurs and professors and build my company really strong from the beginning and build it right. So I felt comfortable scaling it. Um, and even if the company fails, like I've gotten to learn so much sitting in brand management while also applying that to my brand, like sitting in accounting, which I hated every second, but also knew it was really relevant and was also taking that and cleaning up our books. Like every class that I'm taking, I think I'm learning at another level because I'm actually applying it like the same day. Yeah, I can totally see how that could be super valuable and really being able to apply that in real time. So let's actually talk a little bit more about your business. So tell us a little bit more. What is it? How did I know you started it before you entered Morton, but tell us the origin story. Give us a little bit more details about it. Yeah. So my company is called Cocada. We like to say we're Cocada, the original coconut spread. Think like Nutella. Um, so it's a dessert spread, but rather than based in hazelnut and having like all the like white sugar and palm oil and all that stuff, um, we're based in organic ingredients. We're based in coconut. We have our classic flavor, which only has two organic ingredients and our brownie, which has five organic ingredients. So we launched it, like I said, when we were applying 
Um, now we've gotten really lucky and also there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes, but we've gotten into target accelerators. We've won a couple pitch competitions. Um, so it's really picked up. The origin story was um, a few years ago, I was traveling in London for consulting. That was not a normal project. It was my favorite project ever because I got to go to London. Um, and I studied abroad there. So I went to a couple places that I love. Um, and I ran into this Sri Lankan stand that had something called coconut jam. And I'd noticed traveling for volleyball um, where we were playing other Caribbean countries. Um, and just in my personal travels, every other country had coconut based desserts, like everybody. And I love coconut, um, but we just didn't have that many here in the U.S. Like in Jamaica, we have something called sweeties. They're like coconut syrup hard candies. Um, other countries have bars or spreads or like everything. And the U.S. just didn't have it. So I bought like six jars of that stuff and checked my bag to bring it home. And I ran out and I couldn't find anything like it. So I started making it in my kitchen. Um, and then I realized it was a legit product, like something that could be a business. When my then boyfriend, now fiance, um, he always says he hates coconut. And even now it's like our company joke that he says he hates coconut, but we sell coconut spread. But he loved it. Like when I nailed the recipe, he was like, this is good. And it was the classic coconut flavor. So I was like, this is legit now. Because someone who says they don't like coconut loves this product. And we're also vegan. We're gluten-free, refined, sugar-free. Um, so it just kind of hits the like all those different dietary checkboxes. So that's the story. Um, and Wharton is a great place to incubate this company because Wharton is really well known for consumer, consumer everything. Um, Wharton is like the home of Warby Parker, a lot of people don't know that. All birds. Um, there's so many CPG and consumer founders here. It's a really great place to incubate this thing. So talk, actually talk a little bit about that. And I'm glad you brought up Warby Parker. I was just going to bring that up as an example. But tell me a little bit more about some of the opportunities. I know that you had mentioned earlier the classes, but outside of the classes, what are the other types of entrepreneurial resources or opportunities that Wharton is providing you to really strengthen your business? So many. I mean, the classes have value. They, they have a lot of value, but I, I'm actually getting a lot more value in other places outside of the classroom. Um, I'm pretty proactive with the professors who um, I think might, you know, have some advice for me that could help. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of great professors, just like most other top schools. So when I take like entrepreneurship 101, which is funny to take I'm a year and a half into my entrepreneurship journey, um, I connect with the professor outside of the classroom. That professor connected me with a former professor who's now a VC, um, and he's connected me with his buddies, and suddenly we're connected to all these angel investors. Um, another example is the Warby Parker CEO did come in and talk to our class one day, um, and just hearing like their real story and like what it was really like for them in school, like starting the business in school was really cool. And there's a lot of founders who come in every day like that. Um, and then you also have like the alumni, of course, are amazing. Again, just like any other top school, um, they're so supportive. Like. I I reach out to any alumni and they respond within a week, which is crazy because some of them are 20 years out of school and super, you know, whatever, big investor or CEO, some big company. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of places for value, um, which is why it drives me crazy. A lot of people say if you want to be an entrepreneur, don't get your MBA. You don't need it. You don't need it, but it makes everything so much easier. I, I think you brought up a really good point, and I'm And I think the the. Uh, programs you just rattled off and experiences you mentioned you've been through are, are good examples of how an, an MBA experience can be valuable if you are an entrepreneur. And uh, I think what's often lost in the discourse is that 
there are a lot of ways to start a business and be successful. And some of them sometimes involve, um, you know, other people, other resources, other programs, which you can find in an MBA program. And, and sometimes you can find those in other places. And it's not about what's better or worse. It's about what's, what works for you and, and, and whatnot. So I'm glad you, you brought that point up because that is something I, I try to remind you know, people of. And, and certainly there are great examples of, as you mentioned, of companies like Warby Parker or many others that have really gone and proven you know, that to a varying degree. I did want to go back to one other thing. Could you tell me actually about a little bit about the name? How did you come up with the actual name uh, of the company? Yeah. Um, Kokata. It's, it's a tricky name for a lot of people to say. It's spelled K-O-K-A-D-A. Um, the original story is like, like the consultant that I am at heart. And my fiance was a consultant too. So, you know, we're, we're both very consulting when we talk about anything business. Um, we whiteboarded names and have like sticky notes and we did the whole design thinking thing that we used to do for our clients. Um, so we sat down and said, let's come out with all of the dumbest names that we can think of just to like kind of shake, I don't know, like shake off. I don't know, just to like get the creativity flowing. So we were just saying really stupid things and we had a whiteboard in my office and we were just throwing things on the board. Um, we landed originally on Coco, K-O-K-O, after hours of doing this kind of exercise. Um, we didn't realize back then, we didn't know very much back then about starting a business. Um, you have to trademark the thing and Coco is not very trademark friendly. So we liked Coco because it kind of insinuates coconut it has like the K's in there. We could kind of put icons in the name. Kokata came about because we had a family friend bring up that there is a dessert in Brazil spelled differently, but it's called Kokata. And they pronounce it differently as well because um, it's Portuguese there. Um, and when she said that, I was like, oh, my God, this that's that's the name. Like we can make it different. Um, cause I don't want to take a word from, you know, another language and just use it for my own, um, benefit, but we can make it different. Um, we changed the name or the spelling to K-O-K, kind of like Coco for ourselves. Um, but that's kind of where we landed on Kokata. And I love that we created a new word and yes, it's hard to get people to pronounce it right. But, um, like Nutella, same thing a hundred years ago, they created a new word and now it's a standard word. Like I imagine Kokata being a standard word in 20 years. I love that ambition. And, and I think you make a great point about Nutella not being a, a thing. And now here we are uh, today. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about was just, I know that building a uh, business is not easy and certainly trying to build a business while you're in school is, presents its own set of challenges. So can you talk to me about what are some of the challenges you faced, you know, particularly over the past year while trying to build a business while being in school? Yeah, there's two pieces to this. So piece number one is the financial piece, honestly. Um, I know a lot of people think about it, wanting to be an entrepreneur, going to school. Um, and then the second piece is more just the the FOMO of it. Um, the first piece, the financial piece, we bootstrapped from the beginning, mostly because I wanted to really be in control of equity. I wanted to keep the company Black-owned, women-owned. So that means I need to keep over 51% for years to come. Um, so we bootstrapped. Um, I dedicated most of my salary the year before school to bootstrapping the company. Well, when you go to school, your salary ends. So it, it was like a hard stop of, okay, we can't bootstrap anymore. And we had to come up with plan B. Um, honestly, it was a good like kick because we needed to move on from bootstrapping um, so we could scale. But that was definitely a little painful. Um, then the second piece, I think, is is the bigger piece, the FOMO of it. So 
every school has a different vibe. Um, but most MBA schools are very social. You know, everybody's there to meet people. And so am I. That's why I'm here. Um, but, you know, they're like some people go out like four or five days a week and they're going to lunch and you only have a couple classes a day. So, you know, it's it's you're busy, but in like a social sense. Um, but because I'm building my company, I can't do all of those things. So this is where the student athlete thing kind of kicked in. I am very clear about like my priorities. I joined one um, club that I'm super involved in, which is the hockey club. I've never played hockey before, um, but I go to everything for the hockey club. I go to every game and I'm just like, this is the one thing I'm really going to do socially. <laughs> and then I'll go on treks and trips. I'll try and do that. Um, but I just prioritize that. And then I I have to kind of say no to everything else pretty much, um, which is hard most days. But it's so it's really worth it because I'm kind of doing both things that I want to be doing. Yeah. And I think to your point, the key is really honing in on what those priorities are and trying to be as consistent with them as you can be. And, and I'm glad you're able to take advantage of hockey. I know that's a lovely Wharton tradition. My, my girlfriend's a Wharton alum and she did the same thing uh, as, as well. And she actually, I think she said she scored a goal and she had never played hockey before. So she got a lot out of it. And I know plenty of other Wharton alum who have done the same, yep. but I think you're right. And I, it is on one hand, I think really helpful that you have something that you care so much about, like a business to keep you honest in terms of the, and also having a little bit of that tied to kind of your own kind of financial well-being. And so it, I don't want to say it makes it easier to make a decision of whether or not you want to work on something or, or do the fun thing, but it also, it makes it a little bit clearer, I think sometimes to have that, but I also very much recognize and every MBA student that I've ever come across has always dealt with the fact that on any given day, there are a million really interesting things that you could be doing. Uh, but you certainly don't have time to do a million things in a day. And, and it really does come back to those, those priorities. So I know I asked you a little bit about the challenges, but it's 2022. We're recording this uh, in January. What are you excited about? What's, what's ahead for Kokata? Uh, I'm really excited about Kokata, everything. Um, so we launched in 2020. And when we launched, we launched very carefully and slowly. Um, I wanted to get the product perfect. And I wanted to bootstrap it. So that means like we can't hire a ton of people to do it all for us. Um, last year was a huge year for us. I think a big lead up year. So we were selected for Target Accelerators. We won a big um, pitch competition for Food and Bev. Um, all of these things started lining up where we're getting all of this awareness with buyers, like grocery buyers, because that's ultimately our, our buyer. That's who we're selling to. Um, we're starting to get that ball rolling. So this year is like our scale year, and I'm so excited. Um, we're we're raising in the next few months here. Um, we haven't started yet, but that is going to change the game. We have some interest in big natural retailers whose names I can't name, but we're we're going from a pretty small company that was just kind of building the foundation to like our our target towards the end of the year is being. 20x bigger than where we are and that's a very reasonable target so i'm just excited to see kokata like on the on the shelves to see people posting about it um so that's what 2022 looks like for us that does sound really exciting and uh, brianna atkinson a co-founder and ceo of kokata thank you so much for being here today if people want to learn more about you or find more information about kokata where can they go where can they find you uh, we're pretty active on social media, Instagram and TikTok. It's at Eat Kokata. That's E-A-T-K-O-K-A-D-A. And our website, uh, www.eatkokata.com. You can also order there. Well, 
Thank you so much, Brianna. It's been great chatting with you. And thanks for coming on the NBA Insider Podcast. Thank you. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the NBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.